Welcome to Season 2 of Mindfulness Off the Cushion. If you're familiar with the challenges of living mindfully and are looking for help in your daily dance with suffering, our goal is to be a resource for you. Once again, we're brought to you by the Austin Mindfulness Center. Today, Dr. Sears joins us to discuss an important topic that will touch many of us in our lifetimes, and that topic is depression. Depressive disorders are second only to anxiety disorders as the most common form of a mental disorder experienced worldwide. According to the World Health Organization, at least one out of every eight people will live with a mental health disorder with anxiety and depression being the most prevalent. While the term depression is often used somewhat loosely, it's important to distinguish the differences between experiencing clinical depression versus a temporary low mood or feeling of sadness. Depression is also markedly different from grief and loss, which we'll be exploring in our next episode. It's also important to remember that depression is treatable, and it's our goal to provide you with practical, research-based options to help you cope. While treatable does not mean curable, it does mean that we have some degree of power in choosing how we respond to the symptoms of depression. Today, we'll talk about how mindfulness can improve our ability to notice the earliest signs of depression before it overwhelms us. Ultimately, the goal is to build up our personal resilience. And please remember, you are not alone in this journey. We are here to help. If you do need help, you can find us online at austinmindfulness.org, and we do hope you'll reach out to us. For now, let's go a little deeper with Dr. Sears. Dr. Sears, welcome back to Mindfulness Off the Cushion. Today, we're going to explore the realm of depression. And perhaps the best way to go about this is to define it. Yeah. And this is such an important topic um, because I think it's the second most common uh, mental health disorder behind anxiety. I think maybe one in four people in their lifetime, at least, will end up suffering with depression. And I think it is important to distinguish. You know, sometimes people say, Yeah, I feel depressed. And they don't quite mean the same thing as what we're talking about with clinical depression. So feelings um, like sadness or, you know, if you're grieving because you lost somebody, um, that's different than a clinical depression where you get stuck, your entire mood shifts and changes. And not that it's that important, but technically it has to last at least two weeks to be considered a clinical depression, but it's, it's so different than just a mood that you, um, that, that comes and goes, you know, when you're a little sad, somebody can say, Hey, let's watch a comedian or cheer up. And sometimes you can just pull out of it But with clinical depression. You just can't, you can literally be watching something you used to think was hilarious and not feel anything, um, or still just 
feel depressed. Um, the things that used to give you pleasure just don't anymore. So it's a strange kind of a thing. For a lot of people, there's a physical component to it, almost like a heaviness um, that they feel. And then your thoughts start to shift. You start to have negative thoughts about yourself, negative thoughts about the world, and negative thoughts about the future. And this is why suicidality sometimes shows up. You start thinking about, well, gee, I'm a terrible person. The world's a terrible place. and There's never any hope for anything being better. The thought of not feeling anything suddenly starts to seem attractive. So um, this is one of the dangers, obviously, that you get lost in this temporary state and end up doing something drastic, like take your own life or hurt yourself. When you can recognize all the things we do, there are really good treatments now for clinical depression. So Dr. Sears, thank you so much for providing a more complete understanding or definition of depression. And you make this very interesting um, triad between the self, the world, and the future. And how at the very center of this is understanding how negative thoughts about the self the world and one's future in the world can really be a pervasive fog or a pervasive feeling that takes over an individual. At the heart of that is that self. And at the heart of that is also this judgment or this experience that there is no purpose or meaning there. How do we begin to unravel such a big thing yeah, this is so challenging because it's like the enemy is within us. You know, we get confused that we think these thoughts are real, that they represent some kind of reality. And so the big challenge is how do I recognize that, oh, the fact that I'm thinking this way means I have depression. That's not who I am. Right. Whenever I read this kind of information to a client with depression, they may even say something like, oh, I thought it was just me that thought I was a terrible person. Yet yeah, you thinking it's just you that's a terrible person is a sign of depression. Nobody ever experiences depression and has high self-esteem or hope for the future or you know belief in humanity. It just doesn't go with depression. So this is the tough part to make that shift. Instead of I'm a terrible person, and now I think I'm a terrible person for thinking I'm a terrible person. And what's wrong with me for feeling this way? By using mindfulness, we can become more aware of these thoughts. And we recognize, oh, I'm having a thought that I'm a terrible person. I wonder if that's a sign that my depression is coming back or that I'm slipping into this you know, depressed mood state. I better take some action to take care of myself rather than just keep spiraling in these thoughts. So instead of believing them or getting lost in them, I recognize these are signs of my depression. Now, this is really tough to do when you're in the worst parts of the depression. You know, depression can get so bad, you literally don't want to do anything. You can't get out of bed and, you know, nothing feels like it matters. The research shows and where a program like mindfulness-based cognitive therapy can be helpful is it teaches us to recognize the signs early. So when those thoughts first start to come up, when those feelings first start to come up, oh, depression may be coming on. I better go do something and take care of this before it gets worse. 
But is it through the act of mindfulness, through the act of paying attention to these thoughts? And not just paying attention to the thoughts, but adding a layer of like separation or diffusion? Is mindfulness diffusing the thought that this is hopeless or life is hopeless? Yes. Yeah, so it's it's first diffusing, or we could also say decentering, right? Because normally it feels like I'm in the center of the thought and now I'm stepping back and seeing it as a thought. That's the first step to even recognize what's happening. So again, that's the power of mindfulness. Here's reality in this moment, whether I want it to be true or not, these thoughts are here. Now, it's not saying that the reality of what the thoughts are saying is true, but the reality is these thoughts are here. Now, here's an important link. You can't just notice and then expect everything's going to be fine. So here's where what we know from behavioral health and research uh, becomes very important with depression. We know the most active ingredient in all therapies that help depression is behavioral activation. And all that means is you have to do some physical activity. So just noticing is not enough when it comes to depression. Just having an insight, well, I'm depressed because I had a bad childhood. That's not enough. You have to translate into getting moving in some way, whether it's just taking a walk around the, the park or you know, physical exercise. You know, it's amazing to me how often I see these studies that show, hey, physical exercise helps you. You know, it really should be obvious, but but it really does help start doing the things that matter and here's the hard part even if you don't feel like doing it because those thoughts are going to say it doesn't matter you know it's not going to make any difference it's not going to help you i don't feel like it and you just do the action anyway that's the tough part right most of us well i don't feel like doing that so i don't do that but with depression it has to be the opposite here's the thoughts and then i just take some action of some kind to get myself moving, start doing the things that matter, and the feelings will catch up later. And I will say too, the more research that's gone on, the more important we know the physiology really is. So for example, there are some medications that have a side effect that can mimic clinical depression. So maybe you need to adjust the medications you're on. Or there are some good medications that help people with depression. Sometimes it's um, just an imbalance, say, in your thyroid that may be a piece of that. Maybe it's uh, alcohol use. So definitely always want to look at all the medical sides of that too. But as far as behaviorally making a change, it's got to be getting moving when you just don't feel like doing anything. Because the opposite of that is when you fall in a spiral. You know, I don't feel like doing anything, so I'm just going to sit here at home. Well, then you sit here at home, and now you feel more depressed because you're not engaging with anybody. You're not doing anything meaningful. You feel like you're wasting your time. That makes you more depressed, so you feel less like doing anything, which means you sit there longer and feel more depressed. And so you can have this sort of downward spiral. So to break it, you just kind of have to get yourself to, to move. So it can be helpful to have a friend or partner or somebody, if possible, that can be there and just keep encouraging you, even though you don't feel like doing something. Yeah, it does seem like it would make sense to to have someone like an accountability partner to help you through that behavioral activation, just getting your butt moving, so to speak. Is there a correlation here at all with having a healthy mindfulness practice 
potentially understanding intellectually, I really need to go for a walk. I really need to get more physically active and then actually being able to do it. Yeah. And in fact, this prevention is the most important thing with mindfulness to catch, as I said earlier, the, the signs, um, but also to develop the ability to do this stuff. You know, when we did the research on mindfulness-based cognitive therapy and others uh, that developed it, where they recognize the real power of this is catching it early. Because here's the sad truth too. Once you've had an episode of depression, you have a greater chance of getting it again in the future. So as I mentioned, any random person has maybe a 25% chance of getting it. But once you've had it, it goes up every time you have it. So by the time you've had like three or more episodes of depression, you now have an 80% chance that you're going to get it again. Sometimes for no reason, it just comes out of nowhere. So the best time to practice is when you're not depressed. Um, now, that's not good news if you're feeling depressed now. There's other things you can do, and especially getting therapy and behavioral activation and maybe look at uh, medication. But ideally, you want to practice, as you're saying, the mindfulness skills when you're in a fairly decent place, because that's that's tough for you know anyone to be able to notice their thoughts without getting lost in their thoughts. Uh, it's much harder when you're really depressed. So your practice can make you more resilient. You start to have these skills, and then when the depressing things creep up or the feelings start to creep up, you can see them as signs. Because they found that's one of the reasons people kept falling back into depression is you ignore the signs. It's like, oh, depression is so horrible. I don't ever want that to happen again. And you think to yourself, gee, I'm already overwhelmed. I'm working too much. I got all this going on. Now I got to get depression too. I don't have time for this. And so they ignore it and then they get sucked into it versus saying, well, I don't want this depression to be coming back, but this is a sign that it might be. I better call my therapist. I better exercise more. I better talk to some friends and kind of prevent this from getting worse. Mindfulness Off the Cushion is sponsored by the Austin Mindfulness Center, the premier mental health counseling center in Texas for mindfulness-based therapy, education, and coaching. If you're an individual or couple struggling with stress, anxiety, depression, relationship issues, or you're just looking to better equip yourself to gracefully navigate these turbulent times, you can visit us online at austinmindfulness.org and request an appointment today. Do we happen to know scientifically why things like anxiety, depression, grief and loss, why we have good days and bad days, why we have these surges? You've mentioned it a few times now. Yeah, I don't know that we'll ever definitively say that for sure, but we're starting more and more to pick up on all the factors. So there are obviously external factors, you know, just life situations, things that you know, create stress uh, or things that are supportive. For example, we know having good social connections is a huge buffer against any mental health disorder. When you've got friends, when you've got support, when you've got resources, you're much more resilient. And then certain things, obviously, 
like loss of a loved one or changing jobs or whatever is going to create stressors in your life. So there's environmental things. There are biological things, even down to the genetics that you're born with. Your, your body just uh, wants to respond a certain way. It may be more sensitive to certain things. So those are going to be factors. And then there's mental or psychological skills, which is how resilient you can be, how you adapt to what is there. And this is why some people can experience an awful thing but come through fine and other people really don't deal with it well. Maybe they never learned the skills or didn't have the right uh, um, way of working through it um, in terms of the way they think about it or the way they react to it, I should say. And so what we can develop with mindfulness skills and really the whole point of something like mindfulness-based cognitive therapy is to become aware of reality as it is, whether I like it or not. And now that I'm aware of what's happening, I'm now going to have conscious choice about what to do instead of an unconscious reaction that may make it worse. So especially with depression, I don't want to have that thought. I don't like this feeling. And so I automatically push it away and fight with it and try to run away, which ends up just getting me lost in this spiral. I think it was one of the first episodes that we recorded. You spoke about how helpful mindfulness was in the practice of ninjutsu and your martial arts. And you said that one of the things that you really appreciated as you were practicing mindfulness and the martial arts was your ability to notice uh, micro movements in the opponent, right? This ability to just not just pay attention to a movement, but to pay attention to the micro movements that occur before the movement itself. Mm -hmm. And as I hear you talk about depression and the importance of recognizing the feelings before they get overwhelming, before they get too big. The parallel, I guess, that, that I drew was that this mindfulness, this capacity to build mindfulness is a capacity to refine our capacity to pay attention. And not just like pay attention to the obvious, but pay attention to the very, very subtle to the very nuance, to the micro-movements, the micro-feelings. Yeah, it really can. And when you think about it, think about somebody you know, maybe a partner, somebody you live with, you can sense changes in their mood, right? You can tell before they do, oh, they had a stressful day or something's <laughs> bugging them. And they're like, nothing's wrong with me. What's wrong with you? you know, <laughs> Not to get too personal with that, but uh, you can catch that, right? And if you're in a good place, you can realize, oh, you know what? They probably had a stressful day. I'm, I'm not going to be argumentative with them. I'm going to, you know, in our better days, we can just kind of notice that and just kind of help them. It's a little harder for us to do it with ourselves, though. What are the signs that my I'm a little bit more at risk? And sometimes it's an external thing. You know, I just lost somebody I care about or work's gotten more stressful. Sometimes it's an internal thing. You know, there's a, there's a weird feeling here that I normally don't get. And so that's that noticing it, you know, to take the martial arts analogy, noticing that they're just starting to raise their shoulder instead of when the fist is about to hit your face. Okay, now's the time I better slow down a little bit or no, I've got this deadline, but I really have to pay attention, at least try to get more sleep, call my therapist, whatever it might be, and do something proactive before it gets worse. Perhaps now is the time to practice compassion. 
self-compassion or compassion for that roommate. Yeah. And by strengthening that ability, when we're feeling better, it'll be there for us more reliably when the depression sets in. Because as we talked about, once you're really depressed, you think you're a terrible person. I mean, it can get extreme. I, I worked on hospital units where there was somebody there once who literally thought they were the devil because in their brain, it told them they were so evil. They were the worst human being in existence. So the only way they could make sense of that is to think, well, I, I must be the devil. That's the only explanation for how terrible I feel about myself. And so that's tough to have compassion for yourself if you think so poorly. But if you've developed this ability, as you said, to defuse or step back and say, wow, that's amazing that that thought's so strong. And you remember, I'm more than just this thinking. This is depression. This is not who I am. Um, then I can take some steps. And that's kind of one of the things I do a lot when I'm working with somebody, even in the more extreme places of depression. They may not be able to do it for themselves, but I'll say, wow, notice how every suggestion I make, your brain doesn't want to do it. It thinks you're not worth it. It you know, thinks there's no hope. You know, That thinking that there's no hope, that thinking that everything's terrible and that you're a terrible person, that, that shows me you're depressed. So we need to work on the depression. So I'm talking to them in that bigger context to help them recognize these are thoughts in your mind, even though they seem so strong and so true in the moment. But just because you think it, doesn't mean that it's real right or true right and there's there's degrees to that right so all of us have been sitting here and this random thought comes up like you're gonna fail at that and when you're in a better place you say well that's weird that that old thought came in maybe that's just a memory of some coach telling me that that didn't know me or whatever but there are other times you're feeling bad and then that thought comes in and you believe it um so that's the challenge is to be able to step back and some in fact there's something called mood state dependent learning and memory that's a fancy word but what that means is the way i'm feeling dictates the memories and thoughts that my brain has access to so this is what's so challenging about this when i feel depressed my brain easily lights up and activates the memories of all the other times i've felt depressed and that i failed and that i was you know not living up to my standards or i did something wrong it's hard for me to remember the good things i have in my life uh, and so it's very strange to somebody on the outside who says gosh you you live the perfect life you know by my definition and you think you've, you're a terrible person doesn't make any sense it's just how the brain operate so that can be another sign to recognize yeah i can't even think of anything happy that's another sign this is depression that's gripping me and so i better take some action even though i don't feel like it even though my thoughts might tell me something else which is pretty tough to pull off if you're deep in it so that's where i would really say you need to get that professional help when you just have trouble doing anything your thoughts are really all consuming you know, the thoughts of hurting yourself start showing up as a potential solution. That's the time to get some professional help. Are there times when you perhaps might not recommend that someone practice mindfulness meditation if, if they're suffering from depression? Well, when you're in the depression, first of all, it's going to be pretty hard to have the cognitive capacity to learn the mindfulness skills. In other words, you know, I can't, part of the, the 
criteria for depression is you can't concentrate very well. So it's going to be pretty tough to learn these skills. The other thing is you have to adapt a little bit differently than, for example, when you're working with anxiety. So a lot of times with anxiety, when we talked about that, you can notice these things and just sort of feel it and it tends to pass through. Anxiety tends to be not always, there are a lot of different factors, and especially with trauma, but in general, anxiety is a heightened stress response, and that stress response is meant to just be a temporary boost in energy to get you through a difficult situation. So sometimes just feeling it at least is a way of taking the edge off it or at least letting go of the fight with it. Now, with depression, you may have to approach it a little differently. So if I sit here and I feel the depression, the good thing that I can do is at least let go of fighting it. Because there's another layer. Here's this awful feeling, and now I'm fighting it, and I'm tense. I can at least let go of that. But we don't necessarily just want to sit there and wait for it to pass. I may end up falling deeper into it. So this is a case where I'm gently aware, oh, this feeling is here. I'm feeling this in my body. And I just need to stand up and start moving my body, start doing things, get out, see some, get some sunshine, call my therapist, whatever it might be. So in this case, I don't want to just keep feeling it necessarily. I could end up getting sucked down into it, but I at least want to not fight with it, let go of any struggle that may be there. Do you think that there could be a little guided meditation that you can provide that will maybe introduce us to this, these concepts right here? Yeah, I think it might be good to do a meditation on recognizing the signs, the earliest signs of depression coming. So that might be a good exercise to practice. Very good. That'd be wonderful. Thank you, sir. We hope you'll join us in the very next episode of Mindfulness Off the Cushion for that bonus content from Dr. Sears. See you there.